beyond excited to announce that I have partnered up with Magimix for this season of Crazy Sexy Food. As the inventor of the food processor, Magimix is a family-owned business that has an amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances and are cherished and adored all around the world by both chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. Fast forward to today and my beautiful Magimix cook expert is literally the most used appliance in my kitchen. This latest innovation is both a food processor and multi-cooker in one machine. It's a game changer for me and it's such a dream to use. I think of it as my personal sous chef. I give it all the hard work to get on with so I can focus on more interesting jobs like tasting, flavouring and serving up delicious meals. And don't even get me started on their ice cream machine, the gelato expert. It makes ice cream to rival even the best Italian delicacies. Oh, and if that isn't enough, come September, they're launching a new range of blenders. Fancy getting your hands on one of their products? Then use my code CSFMAGIMIX for a 15% discount at magimix.co.uk. Follow Magimix UK on social, download their brilliant app for hundreds of delicious recipe ideas and see how the amazing Magimix can become your personal sous chef in your kitchen too. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career and their favourite tastes along the way. This week I'm joined by Chris Baber, the chef on a mission to make cooking easy with his fuss-free recipes. Already with a huge social media presence, 164k on Instagram and counting, his debut cookbook Easy, which came out this year, demonstrates just how, well, easy it is to make delicious food. Chris started cooking from a young age and went on to work under award-winning chefs before starring on the BBC's popular cooking competition, Yes Chef, which he won, may I say. You may recognise Chris from the MS adverts that he regularly fronts or from the Chris Baber Cooking School that provided free cook-alongs to children during lockdown. Chris, it's so lovely to have you over today. Welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this since we met over food, believe it or not. Funnily enough, I was going to bring that up. We met at a very fabulous party Mm. at Nobu Park Lane. You and I had the right idea that night. We positioned ourselves near the doors to the kitchen so that all the canapes hit us first. That's when I knew we were going to get on. (laughs) When me and you were lingering around that area and then we're like, what's going on here? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be friends for a long time now. Um, My particular favourite was obviously the black cod, which I think those guys just came straight to us. I think they didn't plate up with us at one point. They they had to sort of plate out. I've got, that's probably the best canapé I've ever had and ever will eat. Um, Yeah, phenomenal night that, wasn't it? That was good. Um, And they were very generous with the food, may I say. Very generous with that and the drink. So a great night all around. Good times. So thank you for coming over. Um, it's it's raining today, but you've made it. You've you've made the long trek over to my house. You basically live around the corner, so you're also my neighbour. But I must ask you, because I start all my conversations with this, what did you have for breakfast today? Porridge. 
Okay. Every day, I love a bowl of porridge, me, and straight up prison recipe, water and oats, <laughs> no messing around. There's no wow. turmeric, cinnamon, and all that in there. I like old school um, porridge. That's me. Love it. Do you find that porridge keeps you full? Because I don't know, something mm. happens to me. I get hungry on porridge. I mean, I'm always hungry, so... <laughs> That, that, that doesn't sort of counterbalance it. I don't know. I find it the most satisfying thing I eat every day. And yeah, I just love it. And honestly, if I'm away on holiday, you know, you do all the fruit platters, cook yeah. breakfast. By seven days in, I'm thinking, do you know what? I can't wait to get home and have my <laughs> porridge. I remember when we were like 14 and I was starting my training and I was lifting weights and running. I'm like, I must have my porridge. My mum's traipsing around 40 degrees in Spain and local supermarkets trying to find me some oats on a family holiday. <laughs> That's how much I love porridge, people. Uh, I, okay, right, guys. Porridge, it's all about the oats for Chris. <laughs> so I want to sort of kick things off by taking it back mm. to your childhood. You're born and raised in Hexham in Northumberland. I want to know what life was like. I want to know what you were eating, who was mm. cooking, what was on the table. Sort of start from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, Hexham, Northumberland, a place incredibly close to my heart. All my family are there. I've still got great friends there. And it's one of them things where you don't realise what you've got until not that it's gone but until I moved away we grew up in a really nice area we're in a valley really close to the river Tyne and mm. it was just so easy going we could go out and do whatever we wanted really good sense of community there where everyone knows each other and all the rest of it and I love going back and it's only when I moved to London I realized how much I appreciate and enjoy the great outdoors and yeah I love it up there and talking about food you know Everyone assumes that I grew up in like a real foodie family where we'd have like spices from Morocco from our travels and these crazy cookbooks. But I was like most families, you know, spaghetti bolognese, all home cooked stuff. We weren't on ready meals or anything, but spag ball, fish pie, lasagna and garlic bread. Like good comfort food. Just proper food. So who was cooking? So my mum did a lot of the food, but then... God, I remember I, some of my earliest memories. I'd be stood on a chair in the kitchen. My mum would just give me like a, a butter knife cutting mushrooms. Even if there wasn't mushrooms in it, we'd put them in just so I could do something. Wow. And then I remember taking over, I guess, in the kitchen from being like maybe eight or nine. I'd come in from school. I'd watch Ready Steady Cook and stuff. And yes, I just think, the best. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> that show, I think, is what really yeah. got me excited. And living in a small market town, I, I, I don't know what it was like in London back then, but we didn't have access to all these ingredients I would mm. see on TV and it would make me want to go in the kitchen. And I literally just started making dinner for my family most nights of the week. And there were so many reasons why I enjoyed it. And I think one of them is just seeing putting, you know, putting a smile on people's face with the food you make. And Absolutely. I, I, I talk, obviously, to a lot of people and I think there is something about making food and that reaction to people mm. like I, I'm sure you're the same as me like we show our love through putting food into people's tummies right and there is and it's not about like the pride but it's about just you've spent and also this is the other thing some meals and we'll, although not all not yours which is great mm. um but you know some things do take a long time also some things take a short time but the point is is that you've taken your time out to cook for someone you that, know we're all time poor mm, that's so true and you know, people say, oh, I might get nervous if you come around and cook for dinner. I'm like, there's no need to be. I'm no Michelin star chef. But the fact that someone's gone to an effort yeah. to make me spaghetti bolognese or lasagna, spot on that. Invited around to someone's house. I love it. And other memories growing up, I think the person in my family that really got me into food was my granddad. Because we'd go to his house 
on the weekends or whatever and he'd cook food for us but he'd always have the radio on he had this tiny kitchen with the smallest window it'd be like a steam room in there but he'd have like Frank Sinatra whatever and the radio oh. be whistling and singing he was a larger than life character and I could see how much he enjoyed the process of food and then also feeding us as a family and I think that's what made it exciting and we'd wake up in the morning I'd be doing fried bread and bacon and all that with him and yeah, I think he's the one that sparked my passion when I look back on things. Oh, that's so lovely. And do you remember, are there any particular dishes that you cooked together? There's one that I never cooked with him. He always made it every winter and it was this broth and it was like proper old school ham hock pearl barley. Oh. And I don't know where he got the container from. He must have nicked it off the back of a van or something. It was like this industrial vat and he'd do like proper suet dumplings and it'd be simmering away for hours and hours and hours. And it's one of them things where I'll never try and recreate it because I'll never do it justice. And if I think about it now, I can almost smell it and taste it. Mm. And, you know, we take so much home and freeze it and just eat it throughout the winter. But, oh, yeah. I love that. And I guess what I want to know is, you know, you, you start cooking at a really young age. Mm. And when you were a child, did you think that there was an option for you to make that into a career like I guess the simple question is what did you want to be when you grew up oh there's a few things I wanted to be <laughs> I always remember wanting to work in food though and the strange thing is I never had the aspirations to work in a restaurant as a chef I think because all of my experience we weren't out in restaurants eating out there wasn't so much access to it and you know we weren't <laughs> flush with so much money to go and eat out it was a real treat to go to like yeah. diseases and yeah, stuff yeah. you know and I always had this dream of like, if I'm going to work in food, I want it to be like on TV, because I guess that's where my idols were. Rick Stein, Ainsley, Harriet, James Martin, Gordon Ramsay. It was like, they're all on the telly doing it, showing people how to cook. And I mm. thought, if there was ever an opportunity, that would be it. But other than that, what did I want to be growing up? I always wanted to work for myself. Um, I was toying with the idea of being a stuntman oh, at one wow. point. Yeah, I okay. used to, yeah, but I mean, this is like when I was really young or even a magician. Some really crazy things. Nothing nothing was ever going to be normal. But then as I got a little bit older, I set up a few businesses and stuff and I've just got quite an entrepreneurial uh, mindset. And I, I actually had a couple of companies and stuff when I was at school and sort of into my late teens. And then I began modeling just as like a part-time thing because someone introduced me to an agent and that started to turn into a career and then food sort of got in the way and I'm so glad it did because mm. it's my passion. So I might be sort of fast forwarding a little bit, but I mentioned in the intro that you have worked under some, you know, really incredibly acclaimed chefs. One of them being um, Atul Kachar. Um, talk to me about him. He's a Michelin starred chef. Mm. I want to know about your time working with that wonderful man. It all came about because I was a home cook in Hexham and from a lot of pressure from my friends, seven years ago, they were like, get on Instagram, get on social media. I'm like, look, I'm not into that. Because I used to sit and text photos of food to my friends. And they were like, stop putting online, I'm sick of your text messages. And I thought, I'm very all in as a person. I thought, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. I'm literally taking pictures of my dinner every night. I'm thinking, what am I doing? My parents think I'm going nuts. Um, and funnily enough, it's funny how times come around now. My dad's sending me pictures of what he makes for dinner. <laughs> But uh, someone contacted me from the BBC and said, we've got this show called Yes Chef, would you like to do it? And I'm sure we'll come to that. But Attle was the judge on the show. And then after winning the show, he was sort of like, Chris, you can actually cook. If you want a job, I'll give you a real one. Come move to London. 
and I sort of said, when do you want me? And he went, a couple of weeks. I went, yeah, go for it. And I just stopped everything I was doing, packed my bag, found a place to live and started working in Mayfair with him, which was just phenomenal. But what an experience, you know, to get to work with him, one of my heroes. I remember on the application form for the show, it said, name your three favorite chefs. And he was one of them. No way. And he turns up. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And uh, yeah, it was just the most amazing experience. However, I mean... By the end of a day of chopping onions, I thought, am I crying from the onions? I'm actually just crying. Like my first couple of days there was brutal. I'm sure people are probably having bets on how long I would last and stuff. But an amazing experience to work in all areas of the kitchen. He sort of tucked me under his wing and he's been a great friend and mentor ever since. So let's talk about sort of being in a professional kitchen. Mm. Obviously, such a far cry from just being a home cook. Um, I always liken it to being, you know, quite militant in a way from wearing chef's whites mm. to preparing stations to, you know, just having a respect mm. for your ingredients and your food. And as you said, you know, it's not for the faint hearted, you know, it's a tough old business. But what was some of, I guess, the initial um, things that you like, w that you sort of took on board? Like, what was it about that? experience that you loved i think the group element of it it's mm. real teamwork and i think i can relate it to even playing sport you know you're all working together as one team as soon as someone drops the ball it can all go mm. down the pan and like working really well as a team and i think just there's so many tips and tricks i learned in a professional kitchen that i've been able to share like little simple things that make it easier to cook at home, even when it comes down to how to store food, how to chop food, how to prepare things, getting yourself organized. But I just used to love that buzz of service. Coming back to what you've said about being a home cook, essentially that's what I am because I never aspired to be in there, but I knew it was an opportunity to get me down to London to do what I wanted yeah. to do. And I remember after six months or so with Atul, I was at this point where Atul's saying, what do you want to do in this business? Do you want to start climbing the ranks in here? Should we maybe think about what I could help you with outside of this to do your own thing? And I really missed the feedback from followers and families and all that at home saying, Chris, we made your curry or whatever it might have been. Kids ate all the veg. It was really easy. I'm actually going to start trying some of the recipes. That to me was a win. And I thought, you know, that's what I want to pursue. So I made a decision to leave the restaurant and stay in London to try and turn that vision I had into a job. So actually, you're kind of touching on the topic of like a, creating a community in a way, mm. which I guess leads me to ask you, you know, what is your ethos? Because, you know, I've mentioned that your recipes are, are written to be easy or not there to make people feel uncomfortable in their own kitchen. And I do think that a lot of recipes and, and cookbooks out there do kind of... Um, Make pe they make people a bit scared because you're like, I don't understand what this is. Yeah, you're so right. And for me, you know, there's a million chefs out there who have got more accolades to the name Michelin stars. All I want to do is make it easy and accessible for people at home to cook food and build their confidence in the kitchen. Simple stuff that can make time after time and enjoy it and also enjoy the process of cooking as much as the eating and the feeding people. So like... You know, it's like, get some music on, get the space nice. And I like the way you said uncomfortable. I want to make people comfortable mm. and just make it accessible. I think no matter who you are or your ability, you should be able to make something nice for your dinner every night. No, totally. I agree. And I think also, you know, I'm going to ask you a question, which is, 
Do you think that people put pressure on themselves to overcomplicate the food at home because they think it may taste better, it might look more impressive? Because, listen, you know, let's just say, I mean, in my eyes, like a simple meal could just be like a pasta with a tomato sauce, right? It's not difficult to make. It might be difficult for some people, but obviously you're breaking that down for us. But I wonder if, let's say I had friends over and I was like, oh, but a pasta and tomato sauce, that's so boring. Like, you know, they're not going to like it. They're going to think that I just, I copped out or whatever. How do you change the narrative of that? One thing that's jumped to my mind that I never thought about before, is there now a pressure for people because of social media and what everyone's scrolling through on the phones every day where a tomato pasta isn't quite good enough? Yeah. Is that a thing now? Um, I don't know, but I'd be more than happy with tomato pasta because... If you can execute the basics right, it can taste amazing. Mm. You know, there's some phenomenal chefs putting some amazing content out. But if they're teaching you how to make something really complex, but you haven't actually mastered the basics yet, you'd be better off just learning how to do something from scratch that's easy and then working your way up to it rather than jumping at the deep end and trying to keep up with what you're seeing on maybe some social media accounts, which are phenomenal. But when you get to that level, start cooking that food. Don't feel a pressure that you have to lay on some fine dining experience at home. Go out and enjoy that in the restaurants. When you've got people around your house, just cook something nice that you enjoy making yeah. that's going to put a smile on the face. I mean, that for me is something. And sums quite frankly, who doesn't love pasta? I mean, oh. like, you know, if you don't like pasta, you shouldn't be coming over to my house, quite frankly. But like, even I, I, like, I completely agree with you. And I also think, you know, that's why I love Italian food. And mm. I guess that's kind of, you know, we're talking about pasta. For me, as long as I'm spending the time, if I can, and I know that it's very difficult these days, there's there's lots of issues going on in this country mm. with cost of living and whatever. But if you can go and source some really good tomatoes, you can make a phenomenal tomato sauce once you've got a bit mm. of garlic, a bit of olive oil, a bit of basil. There's just, for me, there's no excuse. And it would work out cheaper for you to do that than go and buy a tin of ready-made sauce. Absolutely. Right? Like... <laughs> I totally agree. And it's also really satisfying to do. Yeah. And it's simple ingredients. Learn how to cook them properly. And that can be one of the best meals you'll ever eat. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So you mentioned that you did learn a few tips and tricks whilst you were in the kitchens. But could you give us a few of your top ones just to make cooking that little bit easier? I think, first of all, it's not really down to the food, but get some decent music on. (laughs) I love it. The more you enjoy the process, like job number one, I've written it in the book is... Get your playlist on, get the radio on, because if you can enjoy that time in the kitchen, you will naturally get better at it because you'll want to be in there more. So for me, it's like get the decks clear, get the tunes on and we're away. And I think little things like that. Yes, it's not food related. I'm not teaching out to chop an onion. But if you enjoy that time, you're going to do it more often. The more often you do it, the better you're going to get. So that's number one. Second thing is prep. So for me, I think if you can get everything out that you need, do all your preparations, Uh, maybe get things chopped, get your spices measured. Don't start chopping an onion when the garlic's already in the pan because by the time the garlic's going to be burning, you need to put the onion. So we've all been there. (laughs) Prep, prep, prep. And I guess that's a really simple thing from the restaurants. You know, if someone orders chicken tikka masala, I'm not going to start chopping the onions at 6.30. You know, it's all been pre-done. And then I guess another one is to read the recipe before you get started. It sounds so simple, But if you actually just read it through, you can kind of mentally prepare yourself before you go. And I'll throw another one in. Pick a recipe that you've got time to do. Yeah. Don't put pressure on yourself. 
If you've only got half an hour, probably pick something that says it takes 15 minutes. Don't pick one that's half an hour on the nose. Just give yourself time. And can I just say, going back to one of those about reading the recipe through, I actually even made that mistake last night. And I'm not trying to claim that I'm like this professional chef or whatever, but honestly, I knew that I'd messed up towards the end when I was putting this particular dish into the oven. And I thought, Hannah, you haven't read the recipe mm. through because you've actually, not only have you not read the recipe through, but you've also missed out a step. And I was so irritated with myself mm. because I'd spent that amazing time prepping this delicious meal. And okay, it was still tasty, but it wasn't exactly as I wanted it to be. And I'm not gonna be hard on myself, whatever, it's fine. But it it's absolutely true what you're saying. Um, I have to ask, what's on your playlist? Oh, what's on my playlist? If you want to find out, Baber Flavor on Spotify. Hooray! If anyone needs to hire me for <laughs> something like a wedding or a school disco, that's the sort of music we're talking about. I love the name Baber Flavor. Yeah. That is wicked. I was born in 1991, so there's a real mix of stuff from like my childhood. Nice. Like, you know, all the 90s stuff, even like 80s, 70s rock music, just stuff that makes you feel good and... Yeah, there's a eclectic mix. There we let's go. Say so that. There's no excuse. You already have the playlist ready and waiting for you. So we must talk about your debut cookbook, mm -hmm. uh, Easy, which came out earlier this year. I guess what I want to know is why you wanted to write it and what the process was like. I wanted to write it to make food as accessible and easy as possible for everyone, no matter who you are or your ability, and build people's confidence in the kitchen. And, you know, I think having moved to London, I realized a lot of people down here do know a lot about food. There's some phenomenal cooks and there's access to amazing ingredients. But I think I didn't grow up like that. Yeah. My friends and family aren't in that London bubble that I'm living in now. And I think I want, I want to make food relatable for everyone in all parts of the country alongside their budget. And also I think about what do people actually want to eat for dinner? Mm. What are people going to make? Like... It's it's real food for real people with a real life at the end of the day. And I've tried to remove barriers to food as well. It's also, we were just talking before we started recording, mm. even just about the language, you know, and, and, I, and mm. I'm happy to admit that I'm probably in that London bubble because I, that's where I've been born and raised. But it's like you were saying, you know, why would I write, you know, Julienne, your carrots? Mm. You know, the majority of people may not know what to Julianne is. Yeah. So that's one of the big things in the book. I've written it all in easy to understand everyday yeah. language. Because for me, like I say, you open a book, you're not a great confident chef or home cook, and it says, saute a carrot, you've julienne. <laughs> you're on to Google or ask an Alexa before you've even got cooking. Yeah. And that is daunting. And it takes time. Mm. So it's all written in really descriptive language because that's how I pick up information. I think whether you're the best chef in the world or a novice, you'll still understand it. If it's the other way around, only the expert will understand. Absolutely. And we're also just trying to like get people to to sort of gain more confidence in the kitchen because otherwise mm. if I saw, if I sort of didn't know anything mm. about cooking whatsoever and I saw those words, I'd be like, Oh, do you know what, sod this, I'm I'm ordering something off online because I can't be bothered to be faffing around with Googling French names and That's you it. know, it's it, it, as you said, it's daunting. And the other thing is it's sort of accessible easy to use kitchen equipment there's no expensive stand mixes yeah. sous vide machines it's pot pans bacon trays chopping board knife wooden spoon kind of thing yeah. and that's what most people have got yeah and yeah. we haven't even got space my place obviously isn't massive in london i'm yeah. thinking i haven't got space for all that kit yeah 
Um, never mind have the money to buy it also. Absolutely. No, no, I totally get that. Speaking of cookbooks, who, first of all, who are some of your favourite chefs mm. and what are some of your favourite cookbooks out there? Favourite chefs, so I've got to go back to start with my childhood. The people that really got me into food mm. on TV. I can't ignore Ainsley Harriet. What a personality, you know, watch them on TV every day. The presence these people had on yeah. like the radio show they cook, the, the viewing figures were huge back then because there was no social media. James Martin, I think he's great. These are people I've admired. Rick Stein. Um, the Don. <laughs> oh, his cookery shows yeah. are just something spectacular. And going on to books, his book, India, that followed his show, is probably one of my favourite books. That TV show is just phenomenal yeah. and the book to go with it. And then Gordon Ramsay, massive inspiration to me through what he's done, obviously, in the kitchen, but also in the media and television. Um, Atul Kutcher. Yeah. Like the man that sort of yeah, gave got me, you in the kitchen. Gave me a chance. If yeah. he didn't give me that opportunity, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. But yeah, it's like a lot of the, I guess the more home cook sort really inspired me as well as mm. some of these Michelin star chefs. Absolutely. And a couple of other books that really stand out to me is, I don't know if anyone's listening's got it, but there's this little Biro cookbook. It's about, I'm, no one can see this, but I'm visualizing the size of it. It's like a... It's like an A5 yeah. size, so it's small. And I think it must have come from like the B-Row bags of flour. Oh my gosh. And we've still got it at home and it's like rock buns, gingerbread, Victoria sponge. And that was the first book I ever baked from. <gasps> and that still sat in the cupboard. And then that book, I think, is probably the first one. But there was another one that stands out to me. Ainsley Harriet's Gourmet Express. <laughs> I think it was the first book I probably ever bought. And... It's one of them where, this is how I want my books to be. It's still at my parents' house. This pages are splattered in Love sauce. It. Love like it. notes on there. Our oven isn't hot enough. Yeah. Put up to 200. <laughs> that's the sort of stuff yeah. I want. Pe that's how a cookbook should be. It should be used. Totally. Um, they're two books that stand out. And like recent books, Ramsey and 10 was a great one because I watched all of his series in social media, like 10-minute meals, but accessible stuff. Some of Atle's books, Rick Stein's. There's so many to choose, yeah, isn't I mean, there? it's endless, isn't mm. it? And it also depends as well, you know, what cuisine you're into that day, right? So, you know, it, it just, it's... That point you've made there about what cuisine you're into that day, that's what I love about the job I do now. When you're in a restaurant environment, it's the same cuisine, mm. same menu, probably changes four times a year with the seasons. The creativity you can have at home, you can fancy Italian on a Monday night, Chinese on Tuesday... Lebanese on Wednesday, something like Craig David. I know, I was about um, to say, <laughs> what's going to happen when we get to Sunday? Yeah, it's going to be like chocolate and strawberries. Yeah, chocolate, uh, <laughs> champagne and oysters on Saturday. And then a bit a bit of fun on a Sunday. I think, you've got, I think you've got the yeah, um, squirty, idea. <laughs> squirty cream on Sunday. <laughs> I think you've got your next um, cookbook idea there. I have. Like the seven days of Chris Baber. The seven days. Um, but yeah, that's it. It's the creativity at home and the yeah. you, you can transform... You, you can you can transport yourself around the world in a week with food and evoke memories of where you've been or where mm, you want to go or mm. just what you fancy eating. No, totally. So you have um, an amazing gig with M&S mm. Food, um, which I think are just the dons of the sexiest TV adverts mm. we could ever think of in a million years. So what's the deal there? What's going on? Um, I've seen you. I'm sure everyone else yeah. has. But sort of how did that come about? Oh, so it came about through someone I met at uh, an event, as most of these things do. And it just very quickly turned into the most amazing job. 
And I think my role with them really is to talk about fresh food, the UK producers especially. So I've spent the past three years visiting farms from the top of Scotland, Urban, where salmon is um, fished down to Jersey for Jersey Royals. I've been in the Wye Valley for asparagus. I'm learning so much and I get to meet these M&S select farmers and really learn what makes the M&S food so special. And when you start to see the love, care and attention that these British farmers are putting into the produce, no wonder it tastes so good. And a lot of people think, oh yeah, it's a big scale. But I'm like, it's a big scale because they've started really small and they've got a really good product. So the demand goes up. And then over three or four generations, the farm naturally gets bigger and they employ more people in it and grow more produce. And it's just phenomenal. And, you know, I've been very lucky and grateful. And that for me with food is the first time I had this amazing sense of fulfillment being like, this is what I dreamed of, you know, Mm -hmm. filming in Scotland the lakes behind me and every time I do it it's a real pinch myself moment and we did a lot of it in lockdown because tv production could go ahead and we went to 18 places last year and I've got to see parts of the UK I never thought I would see and trying food so fresh and just getting to meet the people and some of the laughs and the stories I've got are just like you know I'll cherish their memories forever where was the favorite where was your best place it's so hard because everywhere is so different. Um, I fell in love with Cornwall. Oh. We went to a dairy farm down there. I've never really been to Cornwall, yeah. but we were in Rock. And um, we were there in the peak of lockdown. So I got to see it deserted, mm. which you probably never get to see again. Loved that. I mean, Jersey for Jersey Royals, like Y Valley for us. Everywhere is so special for a different reason but Cornwall was probably the one place in the UK I thought I need to go back here I've just got to do it yeah no it is beautiful I used to spend all my childhood summers there and it is very very pretty let's talk about your relationship with food in general you know you're very into your fitness Mm. you do put a lot of that on social I'm very uh jealous of that ripped physique I am still waiting to get to that point unfortunately I just love my food too much But sort of, you know, break down your relationship with food. I think the easiest way to sum it up, it's a healthy relationship with food. And I think that's really important for everyone to have, in my opinion. And I just eat a good old balanced diet. Like, it really is that simple. And as I'm growing older and I'm learning more and I'm working in this industry more, I think just the better quality of the ingredients, the better. And when it comes down to meat and stuff, really simply, I'd rather eat meat twice a week that's really good quality than eat poor quality meat all week for the sake of eating it Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just simple back to basics approach balanced diet bit of what you fancy does you good i don't eliminate anything i enjoy my food in moderation food's one of the greatest joys in life honestly it is does food have you ever had a moment where like you've actually become emotional eating something oh yeah you've just (laughs) got to stop and you go silent (laughs) It's nice to be out with someone similar and you just look at each other yeah. and go, this is just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think that might have happened to us actually when we met that yeah. night at Nobu. I think it happened a few times. <laughs> I think it happened on my 10th Black Cod canopy, yeah. but anyway. Um, but yeah, just, you know, I'm a big fan of the balanced diet. It's yeah. so, there's so much out there now about you must do this, you need to cut out that. Like, Mm-mm. eat what you like. And the thing with food, someone said to me, so I'm not going to claim it as my own, it's the one thing that gets all your senses going. You can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can feel it. Uh, you can hear it you at can times. hear it and that's some of the most satisfying <laughs> yes. things frying bacon yeah. the smell of it and it's like this exciting journey but yeah just healthy relationship with food everything in moderation and I think it can be unhealthy I'm no professional in this 
to start cutting out foods yeah. because it, it, it claims to give you yeah. something else whether that be the perfect body yeah. or whatever it else but i think if you enjoy a slice of cake just eat it oh, I, I see I all of these you know health cake 200 calories tub of ice cream or something like whatever it is i'm like I'd rather have one scoop of really nice ice cream than eat a tub of substandard yeah. 200 calorie one yeah. for the same calories. Like, cake, just have a smaller bit. Honestly, Chris, I, I could bang on about mm. this forever. I'm, I'm like really big on that conversation between sort of uh, what we eat, mental health, um, and also I think the dangers of these tips and tricks being put out to us by people that are most certainly not qualified for that job. And, and it is... A weird scary route to go down we won't we won't go into it no. too much but it, it, it honestly I, i'm very much the same as you life is too short have the bloody piece of cake uh, do you know what i mean like why I, why would you deny yourself i that think pleasure yeah i mean i've got friends with allergies and you probably have where they're celiac that. but I then I, I think there's someone out there cutting out gluten or dairy for the sake of it, because it's trendy. But there's someone that would love to eat that, but they can't yeah. because they've got a medical condition. Yeah, no, and, absolutely. And absolutely. I also think we're so lucky to live in this part of the world where we do. We've got access to some lovely food and people cutting things out for the sake of it. Go to the other side of the world, there's people starving. Absolutely. And they would they would literally do anything yeah. to have those things that you sniff mm. your nose at or whatever. Yeah. And I know I completely agree. We could, we could talk about this All for day. hours. So tell me, what are some of your specialities at home? I like the home comforts, you know. I eat out a lot with work. Um, you, I'm constantly thinking about food and developing it. But when it comes down to at home, oh man, like bangers, mash onion yes. gravy, a good lasagna and garlic oh, bread, yes. uh, a roast <laughs> dinner. Like I get yeah. so much pleasure, like probably cooking a roast or a Christmas dinner is the one thing I look forward to making the most. Because it's about... It's not about the food when you mention home. It's about who you're with and mm -hmm. being around the table. And when you are out and about, where are some of your favorite restaurants? Uh, well, I'll obviously say Nobu, where we met. <laughs> Consistently great, yeah. amazing. Love it there. Um, had a fantastic meal at restaurant Gordon Ramsay for my birthday. Ooh. That's probably one of the best meals I've ever eaten. Really? Three Michelin stars. I've never experienced cookery at that level before. Everything about the experience, not just the food, was superb i've got a friend who has a restaurant called delamina oh my god i love delamina yeah, it's oh i i'm a huge fan of that place when they first opened i was going all the time yeah it's amazing brilliant food and that is the most wonderful couple that own it really i don't know oh, can, can you introduce me? yeah of course i can lamora <laughs> and amir from delamina uh will be ringing you very soon <laughs> They know they're the nicest people. And when I moved to London, I didn't really know many people and I'd connected with them at uh, Taste of London. And they said, oh, come and try my restaurant. And they're just like the most... But that's what I mean about food. Come and eat with us. Yeah. But their food is just yeah. phenomenal. Um, very vibrant and colourful. Where else do I like? I've got some friends that have this place called um, the Daisy Green Collection. Yes. Aussie brunch yeah, stuff. Yeah. Wicked, fresh, vibrant. Atoll's restaurant, Kanishka, which I love for the reason that this is one tip or one thing that he's said to me that hopefully everyone will take from, I don't want to not quote him correctly, but calling something Indian food, it's cuisines of India. The place is so big. Mm -hmm. The food from one side to the other yeah. is completely it's different. Regional. So that's where his restaurant goes into it. Some of the dishes come with chopsticks, which you wouldn't wow. because of where they might border okay. and how yeah, it's eaten yeah, yeah. there and there's stuff like dumplings and momos. So yeah. that's a real experience and a learning curve. 
And while I was in Singapore, I went to this restaurant called Kengen Key Seafood. And it's sort of in this like residential area. So you're sort of driving out of the bright lights of Singapore. And it's run by Paul and Wayne, two brothers. You've got, I think it's Paul out the front, the biggest bright personality. And I think it's Wayne in the kitchen or the other way around. Sorry if I've got it wrong. He was a bit more quiet and got his head down in the food. And their dad's there. Just when I arrived, you know, he sat at the front with a bunch of Spanish blokes. Doesn't even speak Spanish. Just having the time of his life. And it's this kind of food called Zicha. And it translates loosely to cook and fry, which is just a selection of dishes eaten communally. Like oh, a selection wow. of local dishes. So we had like these coffee pork ribs, cereal prawns, <gasps> black pepper beef, um, Singapore chili crab. Just all of this amazing food. You sat on a plastic table with like a fan over your head. And that for me almost just sums up what food and eating is all about. Just people generally having a good time with their mates, eating like the most amazing food. So that's up there of one of the best restaurants. Oh my gosh, I need to I've go. So what to. was that? Coffee what? Coffee pork ribs. Wow. Unbelievable. Like sweet coffee smoky sticky spicy it's got like every flavor going on deep fried slathered in sauce just ridiculous but beautiful just i think it just summed up like what i love about food just people having a good time eating stuff that isn't it was just like really communal way of eating Mm. we're so lucky i Mm. think london is honestly at its prime when it comes to not just restaurants but also the different cuisines that are now so much more accessible to us. I always bang on about this. It's incredible. Half the stuff I eat nowadays, I hadn't had till I moved yeah. to London. Sushi yeah. I'd never had in my life. Um, obviously, I'd never been to a Michelin star restaurant in my life before I came down here. But it's not just that Michelin star level. It's the stuff that is really affordable. It also is just mind-blown how good it is. Oh, I mean, I love street food. So just kind of, I remember a couple of years ago, finally trying Ethiopian food. And being like, where yeah. have I been this, in, like, where has this cuisine been my whole life? Yeah. You know, you, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you what Ethiopian food was. So honestly, I'm, I'm big into it. So what does the future hold? What's coming up for you? Oh, there's a lot going on. So the book still riding, I guess, on the back of the success of that. Television is the sort of next thing for me. And I've got a couple of great conversations happening right now with actually someone in America and a channel in the UK. So it's a long process with that. But that is a big uh, part of where I want to get to and what I'm working on. I've just become an ambassador for Hexclad, which is the most phenomenal cookware brand. So we've got some really cool events and stuff coming up in London very shortly. And just all the food festivals are happening as well right now. It just seems to be non-stop, and that's how I like it. I've got BBC Food coming up. We've got Pub in the Park, and then there's like BBC Food Winter already looking at that. I've just done Car Fest, so just been out and about again. I love all of that, yeah. me. And also seeing everyone and seeing, I guess, the people from the community that you've built over the past oh, few years, right? It's great because there's a million people you want to catch up with, yeah. and you go to these events and you get to see everyone over yeah, a weekend. I know, it's so much fun. So... The end of my conversations always mm. come with my famous quickfire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Good. Oh, he looks. Oh, he's ready. He's ready. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Now I know the quickfire. <laughs> I mean, they're the most unquickfired quickfire questions yeah. ever. I, I am aware of this. <laughs> so two two things I'll mention there. Recent trip to Singapore. Yep. One of them fish brains, all right? Wow. However, I think it's rude 
of me or ignorant to call it crazy because in other cultures, yes, that's what's eaten. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting thing. Okay. One of the other things was tempeh, and that is probably the worst thing <laughs> I've ever tasted. It's fermented soya bean. I don't mind tempeh. My goodness. <laughs> Was it slathered in some sort of sauce that hid the flavour of yeah, it? Yeah, possibly. It's. I think it's like marmite that stuff. Yeah. Because I had it. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was pork belly teriyaki on a skewer. I thought oh, I can't wait for this. And I'm about to meet um, someone fairly important work-wise, and the canapes are coming. I thought, oh God, give me one of them. I'm starving. I put it in my mouth. First of all, expecting the texture of. Yes. It. And in my head, I'm thinking, if this is pork belly and that's the texture I'm getting, this is rotten. <laughs> And then the taste started kicking in and it is fermented. So I'm like, well, this is actually rot. I thought, I'm eating some rotten pork belly here. This is the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life. I've, um, yeah, I'm never going back right, to that. Okay. I think I went and um, washed my mouth up with vodka or something. <laughs> brushed, That's a very good idea. Brushed my teeth with the old arm and hammer for about half an hour and I still couldn't shake the taste off. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Can we just go back to fish brains for a second? Um, consistency, what is it? It just tasted like fish, to be honest. It was just soft. And okay. it was, do you know what? We went to this place called Sammy's Curry. If anyone's in Singapore, unbelievable, so authentic. And it was this fish head curry, which is uh, okay. a famous dish there. Yes. And then the guy comes over and he's like taking the eyes out. We'll eat them. I've eaten them before because I used to work in a Chinese restaurant when I was younger. And I said, so yeah, I'll try the brain. But it had like a lovely curry sauce on, so okay. yeah, it was spot on. Really enjoyed that. Okay, still yet to try that. What has been your most memorable meal? Right, there's a couple, and I know, that, but one of them was the first time I ate at Atoll's restaurant. So after winning the show, he said, Chris, come down to London and have dinner with me and I'll treat you. And first of all, I've barely even been to London at this stage. I've travelled down, we've gone in, and I'm in Mayfair, like wow, my eyes are open. I'm like, this is just crazy. And I've gone in and had a couple of cocktails. I'm sat on the chef's table with him and I was just like, is this actually happening? And everything he served me, I ate the lot. And I remember <laughs> at the end, there was this biryani, there was a few of us. It was designed to serve like 12. And I was like, oh, I've got to finish it. Because <laughs> I've never tasted food that good. Really? And he just pushed it and he went, you go on, son. And I didn't eat for 24 hours. <laughs> I, I was so full. Uh, that was... Yeah, really special moment. I'll never forget that. And what was your second most memorable meal? Probably making bacon sandwiches at David Gandhi's house. The, oh, so yes. <laughs> he was one of the first people I actually met in London. Literally bumped into the street, didn't know anyone. It's a long old story, but he's the most kind bloke I've probably ever met. And he, he thought it was important I made some friends or whatever. So we ended up at his house one night after some drinks. And I'm stood there making these sandwiches for everyone just thinking, what is going on here? Is this the start of like my life now? And yeah, that was wow, just... Wow, okay. That, yeah, that was a good laugh, that was. Not going to lie, I'd say David Gandhi was definitely up there on my list of um, beautiful men in the world. And if I was not married, um, he would uh, still be on that list, um, if not more. Uh, conversation for another yeah. day, I would say. <laughs> Um, I need to get him on the podcast, actually, although I can't, I don't know if I can trust myself. He can cook as well. Can he? Oh, phenomenal chef. Oh, you might need to put in a good word for me, Chris. One of his I recipes is, on. one of his recipes is in the book. No way. The strawberry and raspberry crumble in the back, because if we're at his house, every time he'd make that with a clotted cream, I'm like, can I put it in? He's like, yeah, of course you can. But yeah, he's a great chef. Okay. So yeah. God, good looks and can cook. Mm. Wow. There's very few people like that in this world. <laughs> 
You're like trying not to laugh. Okay, my favorite snack of all time, we all know, is a packet of crisps. Important question. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and why? Probably one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked since I started. You're welcome. (laughs) It's so hard. I know. Because I'm walking here thinking, this is just tough. It takes some thought. And I'm thinking, you've got old school, like a nice and spicy knickknack. Oh, wow. You've yes. got the crunch of a salt and vinegar Pringle. Ooh, you've got. Okay. Oh, honestly, it is just. If you had to only take one on a desert island with you, Chris, I'm sorry. What would it be? Yeah. It's, it's difficult. This is a really difficult question. It's so hard. A really good salt and vinegar. Okay, so you've mentioned Pringles. Is that are we? Are you still going to stick with your Pringles? Oh you, no, 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 okay, no. Fine. Just a normal crisp, like a Walker's, or um, like more of a kettle chip. A step up from a Walker's, um, probably an M and S crisp. Yes. I would go for. Do you know what? Can I actually just say? Yeah. I mean, I know that you have your thing with M and S, and I'm honestly not trying to get in there. I mean, mm. slash, I am. Um, M&S crisps are absolutely incredible. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? There's some very good, like their selection of crisps yeah. are particularly good. Because I like a vinegary crisp that's got a good punch of vinegar to it. Yes. And like almost like the little flakes of salt. But yeah, salt and vinegar, just such yeah. a classic yeah. flavor combo. Salt and vinegar, fill my suitcase. And I feel way. like a salt and vinegar goes with everything. It will go nicely into a dip. They're great on their mm. own. They're perfect for a hangover. Yeah. They're perfect on a summer's day. It's the crisp for every occasion. What, there we yeah. go. <laughs> I think other other crisps have a certain time and a yeah, place. absolutely. I don't need pickled onion monster munch no, every Chris, day of the day. Okay, but you're not being rude about it. No, that, no, no, okay, no. Okay, good, just checking, just checking. Sometimes you might need it, but <laughs> yeah. salt and vinegar, Yeah. take no, no, them no. everywhere yeah. with you. They're, they're universal. Yeah. Okay, what food sums up happiness for you? That one, I thought, it's not actually the food, it is the setting. If I'm just around a table with a group of people that I really care about and want to have a good chat with, the food's almost like the bit in between that starts that good conversation off. So I couldn't pick one meal. It's more about sitting with the right group of people. Absolutely. It's the whole experience, Mm. isn't it? I think that's really important. Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. Hey. (laughs) It's got to be. There's no other. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people do say eat to live. But for me, there's no other answer. It's one of the greatest joys in life. Absolutely. And this is why we're all sitting here today. Exactly. Chris, thank you so much for coming over. Thank you for talking to me about your life and food. I think that this is just the beginning of a beautiful career for you. And thank you for just making it easy for us. Because nothing needs to be difficult in life. And most certainly not food. No. Well, thanks so much for having me. (laughs) I hope that we can um, get another little trip to Nobu in at some point. A hundred percent. We'll speak to our lovely friend, Eleanor. (laughs) Yeah, we will. Eleanor, we're on our way. See you soon. I think she already knows I booked a table. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, guys. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.